Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Oshkosh is a very organic, very free-form experience. You got to be flexible. You got to just roll with things, and you got to take opportunities as they come up. Day zero was no different. We started off in the morning by checking in and getting our camping credentials, and immediately we ran into interesting people. So we started uh, grabbing some interesting sand sound bites. We uh, we walked the show. We we rode the Bell 47. We went to the museum. We linked up with a bunch of other folks that came into Camp Sonics. Had a little impromptu Sonics get together party, and then uh, crashed back in Camp Sonics. And it was lights out about 11 o'clock. So we put together some highlights from from those events, and uh, hopefully this will give you a flavor of what it was like on day zero here at Oshkosh. Just outside of the Home Belt Registration Building, we saw a very interesting looking Long Easy with some obvious modifications to it. So searching around, we found the owner of that airplane, Jim Price, and had a quick conversation with him over at his airplane. Fascinating. And he set a world altitude record pretty much on a shoestring budget. So let's listen to Jim Price talk about his Long Easy. 19 foil modifications and just a host of things that took this plane technically to a level that it hadn't been before. I ran, uh, I'm running dual electronic ignition. I had spark control timing capability from inside the cockpit. So there was just a whole litany of little uh, items that collectively added up to big significant difference. And just prior to my setting my record, Bruce Bohannon in Pushy Galore went up and had set a record that was I knew it was going to be quite challenging, but I went ahead and took it on, and uh, I set the two altitude and altitude and horizontal C1.A records in 1996, and no one's broken those records. Wow. Okay. So tell me one more time. What was the what was the altitude record that you set? Uh, I went to 35,027 feet. Okay. And you're actually in an environment there. I got the colonel in charge of the physiology department to train me in the Air Force, and he ran me through the same programs that the U-2 and the SR-71 pilots go through for what the physiology of that environment is. It was 62 degrees below zero. If you take 100% oxygen into your lungs at 35,000 feet, it won't even go in your bloodstream, so you actually have to be pressure breathing. So it's a very unusual environment, and you have to be very knowledgeable to actually avoid the hazards that are up there. So what did you pressure suit or how did you do that? Uh, you're not actually wearing a pressure suit. That That's for blood boil characteristics. Okay. And uh, in, unless you're above 50,000 feet, you don't need that. Uh, in this case, you actually have a military high-end pressure breathing oxygen system. Okay. So it's one that is you open your mouth, it kind of blasts oxygen into your 
uh, lungs and you shut it off by forcing your uh, against it, and that pressure causes the uh, oxygen to be able to be absorbed in your system. Okay, so big, heavy, insulated clothing, pressure breathing system. Yeah, not insulated enough heavy, heavy clothing because it was basically everything about getting to an altitude like that is weight specific. Yeah. So I took all the instruments, my plane is currently full IFR capable. So all those instruments and all the extra radio equipment was taken out to lighten the plane. Uh, it's so much about weight and getting to altitude like that. So I took a significant amount of weight off my own body. Uh, and the plane, I took about 48 pounds off of it. And my plane is, when it was constructed, I look at the other data points for planes that were with their 320 cubic inch engine like mine, uh, I'm in the bottom 10 percentile for weight. So it was very focused on keeping the plane as efficient as it could be. Yeah, and did you do anything to increase the power output of your engine? Uh, I did. You know, the main things really was a slightly higher than normal compression ratio on the pistons because uh, I'm non-turbocharged, and that's almost unheard of to have a plane like that to be able to run at altitudes like that. In addition, the other major element was spark control because uh, you needed to get a much higher than normal advance because the air-to-fuel ratios and the time it burns at those levels, it takes a lot longer to burn, so you have to light it very uh, soon in comparison to normal spark curves. Right. So at 37,000... 35,000, 30, 35, 27 feet. Right. What what percent power is that engine still making? <laughs> uh, I don't know the actual percentage. I'd have to run the it's math to like do that, but it's, it's really low. The engine down at sea level would produce about 180 horsepower, and I'd, I get, I calculated it was down to about 36 horsepower oh, yeah. at that altitude. Yeah, so there, you're right. There's a significant difference. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. Any other good questions you can think of? <laughs> 62 degrees below zero. Yeah. So uh, you'd mentioned the warmth. I couldn't, the engine wasn't producing enough heat that I could get anything off of it. And anything that I'd want to have for electrics would be putting on a larger alternator than I wanted because I ran a very tiny alternator that hooks where the vacuum pump pad does yeah. for very low output. Uh, Again, everything was weight-specific, so anything that would begin spinning at the wrong direction, I had to delete from yeah. the possibility. So uh, so fuel load is going to be important, too. How it long is. did it take you to, to make the climb? It took me an hour and ten up and then 25 minutes down. Okay. And I could have come down even faster, but there were I flew in an area where there were some gliders, and my canopy was all frosted over, so I had to make sure that I had cleared the canopy off before I yeah. I came on down. The well, that's still 1,500 feet a minute coming down. That's it is. pretty good. It is. Pretty good spiral. Yeah, coming down is always the easy part. <laughs> going up is the hard. <laughs> but, you know, the the area and the, the facts that I had a chance to work with various people, like uh, I had sent some uh, requests over from Bert Rattan, to what things that he would suggest that I would do, and he made some great suggestions, gave me about a page and a half of information, and then was kind enough to go out to Mike Melville to say, did I leave anything off before yeah. uh, he had sent it off? And I'm, you can't begin to thank people like that enough for sharing the knowledge base that they have in doing it. So that's the main thing I could not never have done this when I went to the University of Michigan Aerospace Engineering I outlined a business proposal of what I was looking for uh, and I had already said that the things that I'd done and that my test flights were getting above the existing 
world altitude record and their eyes got very, very wide. And following that, the next thing I knew that I had a volunteer of five professors and 35 students working on my program. Wow. And they literally gave me unlimited wind tunnel time. Wow. So anything that I wanted to test, they allowed me to do. And it was I was like a kid in a candy store. And what did that actually translate into on the airplane? Uh, well, as an example, I did a design of experiments. And by adding vortex generators on my airfoil, I found that I could in, increase lift uh, by about 22% with less than a 2% drag penalty. So my L over D numbers were radically improved and also the stability characteristics of the airfoils. Where do you use those? So uh, they're both on the canard and on the main wing. And okay. what you find is uh, the biggest advantage on the main wing is that the ailerons become a lot more effective uh, under slow conditions. And then likewise, you lose the Dutch roll. Uh, the, when the plane gets really slow, it just kind of wallows around a little bit. It is rock solid now. So there yeah. were big advantages to that. In addition, in lieu of the typical pitch bobble that a canard will have as you get you stall the canard, now I only get a sink rate. It doesn't pitch bobble anymore. Yeah. So it's very controllable. All you have to do is add power, and you fly right out of it. Yeah, and I, and I didn't I didn't think about that right away. You're flying at those altitudes. You're flying at your best LD speed the whole time. Exactly right. So yes, you yeah. are, and and likewise, uh, you know, you can imagine flying only turn coordinator and airspeed, so it's partial panel, and your canopy's completely frosted. The workload goes fairly high because yeah. you're you're flying what. The U-2 pilots call kind of on the bubble where your cruise speed and your stall speed are coming right together. Right. So right. That's, that's ever the challenges, too. Yeah. And you did this with um, support from the faculty and the students. I but did. But what kind of financial support did you get? Uh, none. None. This was entirely out of my pocket. And that's why I think this is a, a fantastic... Um, it's it's a what's the right word? It's a pure home builder. That's focus. right, exactly. It's um this is what home building is all about. It's about having an idea, reaching out to people who assist you because they believe in the mission, and then just making it happen. I couldn't agree more. And I think in terms of reflecting back on the fact that I kind of saw it personally as a David and Goliath thing. I mean, here I'm going head to head with a very notable individual like Bruce Bohannon who's sponsored by Shell Oil Company. Yeah. And I don't have those kind of deep pockets. And one of the most interesting managers I ever worked for said leverage adversity. And the idea was go to people like the University of Michigan, uh, lay out what they can be done and give them a tangible program where many of the professors and the students were able to use our program that we collectively did on their resumes for advancing themselves. Yeah. And it was an absolute win-win in so many ways. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Jim, thanks for talking. Um, that's a great story. Uh, I, I would love if you had a, a video or a website that you documented some of your, your conclusions. Um, if you don't, maybe that's a future project, is to share some of this hard-won knowledge. Well, there is... Uh, if you Google my name, you'll find uh, I gave a lengthy presentation at an EAA uh, organization in Independence, Oregon, and that is on the web, and it's all a detail of what I had done in order to accomplish this. Okay. So I really had hoped that somewhere along the way someone will break my record and keep the advances going forward. Okay. So I've tried to help others with that. Well, I will dig around YouTube, and I'll find that video, and I'll see if I can put a link in the show notes. Outstanding. Thank great. you so much. I Jim, appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you very much, okay. and have a great show. Thanks for bringing your life. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time.
What is this size? This is a Bell 47G. Yeah, so Isaac and I are at Chopper Town. We're getting ready to get on a Bell 47 and, and do the air venture route. Uh, we got our tickets. We're waiting on the ground crew. Uh, they just opened up a second uh, loading gate, and so we're waiting for our helicopter to arrive. And uh, that should be a good flight. No. First nope. time. Where are you guys from? Coming out of Kansas City. Both know each other? Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. No, we, we so your pilots or we flew in. We're camping over in uh, the uh, home built camping. Okay, what'd you fly in? It? Flew a Sonics. Oh, cool. Yep. Together? Yeah, yep. it's my Sonics. It's my son. He's oh. building his own. That's Next year we'll be flying them together. This is the first year you brought it, or we've been several times. We've brought the Sonics a few times. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think it's gonna be a good, good year. Yeah. Economy's good. Weather's no. gonna be nice. Yep. I think it's gonna be good. Now the weather's getting better. Um, people are streaming in, so it'll be good. So how do you get the volunteer to be at Chopper Town? Well, um, there's tons of places that need volunteers. I just happened to get hooked up. I knew somebody that knew somebody, and and uh, I got hooked up about three years, four years ago doing it. So. You, you got to kind of know somebody if you want to, yeah. you know, if you want to do that. But you obviously like it, huh? Yeah, I like it. I I did that video in there, you know. The okay. Training, and I did a training video for them, so. Yeah. So That's cool. I, I enjoy doing it. It's fun. I may do this another year or two and then do something else. I used to park planes, you know. Yeah. And that was fun too. That's the most fun. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed that. This is fun too. This is more of I know people here. Right. So the other one I didn't know as many people, but. Yeah. And they have two groups of that, the parking group, the North 40 group and the South or the South Roman guys. Oh, he's coming over here. See? Okay. How many people you think are gonna? Wait, wait, wait. That was a great ride. What'd you think, guys? That was awesome. It's like a magic carpet. Got a good chance to see the whole ground, saw the ultralight strip. It's kind of windy. Nobody was flying over there, but we could see them all parked. And we got a great view of Camp Sonics from the air, starting to fill up. John and, and uh, Mike finally made it in. Uh, the pilot offered a watermelon to drop on John's airplane, but we politely turned him down. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, so if you get a chance to ride the choppers, do it. I'll bring a bus next year, don't worry. All right, so we have uh, we have the entire contents of Camp Sonics in Carl Benda's seven-passenger van. There's like 11 people in here. Oh, it's uh, Scott Lee's van, yeah, out of the... Uh, it's actually my wife's van, so hopefully she doesn't listen to this. There we go. So, yeah, we are on our way to dinner um, on Sunday night to... Oh, no. <laughs> we are <laughs> we're going to Jeff's at Rugby's after all. I guess they're, Bob pulled some springs and uh, and got them to open up. So which way? Hey Jeff. Yeah. Are you doing a podcast for this transportation? I, I I am trying to, but it is going horribly off the tracks. Okay, so let me get you some new directions here. What are we doing? 
We're, we're going to a different restaurant. Give me a second. <laughs> you should have told him that. Just, just give him left and right. Yeah, yeah. Get to the parking lot there and say, okay, now we're going. So, uh, Green and Chang, I'm going to need you to break it off and head back to Rippin. Did they call you a yak? Yeah. yeah okay, okay uh, um, yeah. Carl, take this next exit and then go you right. You wouldn't rock your wings for that, would you? You made them say low wing. Next exit, then go right. Where Jeff's on rugby. Exit, exit, right. Yep. Exit, exit, next, right. next exit and go right. <laughs> well then, John's your gal right there. They need a Scottish Yeah. I do want to say that the van is a little squirrely. All right, so we had a, a little bit of a misstep. We we tried to go to we tried to go to one restaurant. Uh, we had to go to the backup, and uh, then decided that the original restaurant was actually open, and uh, that's where we're heading. So Carl is trying to adapt to rapidly changing environment, and he's doing a marvelous job. A traffic circle. All right, so in the van here we have Scott Lee, Mike Diedenthal, Jim Hickey, Isaac Schultz, David Flint, Jason Flint, Bob Carson, Gary Motley, John Gillis, Carl Benda. <laughs> so, that's that's the crew, and we got we got Bob Micah and Mark Kingman who are meeting us there, and between the two of them they got uh, additional people. They've got spouses and and others. So we are going to have a, a nice impromptu uh, Camp Sonics party at uh, Jeff's on Rugby, and we're going to kick off Oshkosh in style until um, they decide to kick us out, which knowing us is probably going to be about 10 minutes. And just to clarify, <laughs> how many people are in this six-passenger van? Yeah, so this uh, this beautiful six-passenger van, we've got uh, 11 people in it. So. It's like a clown car. It is. It's, it's all good to go. I'd say 10 and a half. 10 and a half. There we go. Oh, you get a Oh, well, in that case, Gary counts as two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, keep up the age jokes, buddy. Sonics doesn't. All right, more to follow. Okay, so we met up with the rest of the gang at uh, uh, Jeff's at Rugby and um, had, a, had a pretty good uh, get-together, a little impromptu Sonics party. And let me just uh, get the rest of the people that are here. Bob Micah. Pat Murray. Mark Kingman. Jim McNabb. David Hahn, RV driver. That's right. Uh, we, we're all inclusive here. But, um, yeah, we had, uh, I think, uh, Bob, the count was 21. 21. And, uh, and Rick and Alicia are MIA. So, apparently, next year, cut their beer ration in half, Bob, because they can't <laughs> obviously can't be trusted. I still in there drinking. Probably, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, we, we these are great opportunities to get together and just uh, hang out with friends, meet some new Sonics people, and Sonics is the thing we all share in common, but it's more than that. It's just a chance to hang out, socialize with good people, and talk airplanes in life. And anyway, uh, if you are not here at Oshkosh, you don't know what you're missing. If you've been here, you got to get here next time and come and hang out with us. So more to follow. So, you know, most Bob, we got a little something for you. 
because uh, we we know we know that you take your your Sonics brand seriously. Oh yeah. And uh, you're an ambassador for for Sonics and the family. Oh yeah. And so Mike noticed that you take great pride in your in your shirt with your embroidery and your epaulets and he wanted to add the crown jewel to your Sonics uniform so he's got a presentation for you all right what's that mr mike just because i see you wear your pants i want you to put these on and wear them with honor yeah and uh with sonic's honor we go we put so, uh, them on now now attention to orders here and uh <laughs> see? mike has been endowed with honorary <laughs> captain's bars now well, i'm not going to call these captain's bars i'm going to call them invasion stripes just like <laughs> my airplane but but these are extra special invasion stripes because mike swears to me that they were kissed by virgin stewardesses before they were anointed to you. No such thing. No such thing. Are you telling me unicorns don't exist? I'm telling you. Yeah, no virgin stewardesses. Well, I thank you. I thank you all. Right. I've been I've been with Sonics. Uh, as a builder and and uh, devotee for uh, 19 years now. Wow, that's awesome. So, um, it's, uh, you guys were liars. <laughs> you know, we had to. I had to. I had I to train. My first wife was a brand. The hardest thing. The hardest thing about building my airplane was training the oxen to pull you know the billet you know through the flat through the die to make my uh, spark out. Yes. You know, but the but the oxen really tasted good afterwards. <laughs> He's got right. the pit mine for the aluminum ore in his backyard still. So. No, right. no, no. I had to go. I had to go out to Western Kansas. <laughs> anyway, Mike. Uh, thanks for bringing the epaulets, Bob. I hope you wear those proudly and keep up the good work. Thank you very much. All right, so we're back in Camp Sonics. Uh, this is the, the first night where we've got a, a pretty good crowd here. Um, so earlier today, uh, John Gillis and Mike Needenthal made it in, Jim Hickey made it in, Bob Carson made it in, and um, we've got a couple more that are probably going to come in tomorrow. So that gives us, uh, I don't know, six or seven here in Camp Sonics. There's a whole bunch of other Sonics folks that are not camping in the campground that we, we got together with dinner and uh, had a pretty good time. But now we're just going to spend a couple minutes and just uh, capture the flavor of what it's like to arrive into Oshkosh. So since uh, our first arrival got here on Thursday, Jason, uh, talk us through coming in and uh, coming in and, and setting up. Yeah, uh, the reason I came out early is I live pretty close in Minnesota, and the, the blob of weather that we've been dealing with here for the last two and a half days was coming from that direction, and it was slow moving. So, uh, And I have to be back to work by Friday, so I said, if I'm going to have a full week, I need to leave early. So David, my son, and I, we came out and flew to Stevens Point Wednesday night, flew in Thursday morning. It was still class Delta rules, got cleared right in to 09 landed. They gave us tax instructions back. It was classy, but still said welcome to Oshkosh when we got on the ground frequency so that was cool and going off of just instructions from the air venture 2018 thread on songsbuilders.net you know i kind of had some sense of where i should go and so just came over parked and uh set up shop held down fort for two days it was pretty simple and you said that it was already crazy it was it was class delta rules the notum hadn't kicked in but it was crazy thursday afternoon we got in the first thing thursday morning so it was pretty calm thursday afternoon i you know you had the sense that people knew the weather was coming in and folks wanted to beat it so there was two runways open one uh, uh, uh 
class Delta controller, one ground controller, and it was nonstop. David and I went out there. It was it was as entertaining Thursday afternoon as it was today out there on zero nine. So, yeah, and and back here it started to fill up during the day when we showed up. We were one of the first six airplanes, period, in homebuilt camping. By the time we were done, there was probably a good 50, 60 planes here. Yeah, and I feel compelled to say that even though we talk about an exciting arrival and crazy and all that. It's not so difficult that people sh- should not come. Don't take that. It just means it's, it's fun, it's unusual. Uh, it's a lot of fun to make the arrival. It's exciting, Even if we yeah. describe it as crazy, it's yeah, still fun. Yeah. I guess what I would say on that is, um, you know, if it's marginal VFR and it's your first time, maybe you want to wait till it's full VFR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so tell us your marginal VFR story. Oh, okay. In. So this is Jim Icky. <laughs> I came in. It was marginal VFR. It was probably one of the last uh, two planes trying to get in as a rain front moved across the runway. I was downwind on 2-7, and the, the rain came and it hit the runway. So you know, rather than fly into it, I did it an abort. I turned around and did the exit procedure like you're supposed to. And, uh, yeah, like uh, like Jeff was saying, it, it's nothing you can't handle, but it, it, uh, it gets the pucker factor going when... You have to do something unusual like that, so you got to be prepared for that kind of maneuvering. And Jim, you know, when you were telling this earlier, uh, there was a mix of IFR traffic coming in and VFR, and they were trying to sequence everybody kind of as they could. Right. So if that rain front hadn't come in, then they would have turned me closer to shore. The IFR traffic would have landed. I would have come in just fine. But since I had to turn early, I was actually over the IFR traffic, uh, and I went up to 1,300 feet, which is you know your exit altitude. The guy behind me, unfortunately, cut, cut across the runway, so I had to maneuver to avoid him. Um, so that was kind of the, the craziness with the rain moving in. And then it went IFR after that, and uh, no one no one could come in without an IFR clearance. Yeah, and, and if you have a hard time visualizing that, think uh, a straight-in arrival followed by a right base and a, and a left base basically going head-to-head all at once. Yeah. So everybody's converging at the, at the threshold from three different directions. Gary and I made our arrival uh, Saturday afternoon, and uh, we didn't have too much of a problem, but we did have some weather to work around. So, Gary, tell us that. Well, we stopped as usual as one of our refueling points called Portage, about 50 miles to the southwest of Oshkosh. Picked up uh, fuel, and they actually had some of that new Swift uh, 94-octane unleaded fuel, which I soaked up as much as I could. Got some free cookies, some refreshments, and there was... What, 30, 40 planes there at Portage? It was actually the highest concentration that I had seen landing there recently, and everyone was kind of lined up the fuel queue, kind of waiting for the drizzle and the rains and the, the cells to pass through Oshkosh because we knew that was shut down because of low low visibility and ceilings and IFR conditions. So I think we spent what, up there about an hour, Jeff, before we decided to crank up again. Yeah, and, and Portage is unique because um, although it has two runways, it doesn't have any taxiways, so you have to back taxi on the runway. And it was jammed up with people trying to back taxi and land and, and depart even. Well, actually, I decided to go ahead and taxi back taxi on the, on the grass on the side of the runway because I knew if I tried to wait for all the rivals, I'd never get back there, and we'd have a big bottle jam back there too, so... I just cut across the grass mode some of that as I was going back up towards the uh, refueling station. Uh, but all in all, not too bad. Like I said, about an hour wait. That wasn't too excessive. It was reasonable. It actually gave us a chance to stretch our legs a little bit. Uh, as we departed from there, then we started going to the usual procedure from Rip-On to Fisk. Still, you know, we 
cloud, they wanted us at 1,800 feet and 90 knots for our size aircraft coming in. And the cloud deck was right at 1,800 feet, when you say, Jeff? Sometimes we had yeah. to duck down to about 1,700. Right. Uh, just to maintain a little bit of a VFR clearance, although we're not, not sure we really had strict VFR cloud clearance requirements. But anyway, everyone was following around right over the railroad tracks, so it made it fairly easy. Um, I didn't think we had an excessive amount of traffic uh, coming in with us at, the, at our time. Not not on the way to Ripon, but between Ripon and Fisk, it was jammed up. Uh, there were a lot of planes back there. And because they were landed only on one runway, the controllers changed it to one-mile in-trail spacing, not half-mile like they normally do. And so they were breaking people out as we were coming on the way to Fisk. And um, and it got worse behind you, Gary. Uh, you know, I was two airplanes behind you. And then uh, I got broke out and sent back to Ripon to go try it again. And it was just a flood coming in. Well, they still had the mass arrivals coming, so they were using the, the, the runways into the wind, which were 3-6 at the time, for the mass arrivals. So the only way we were able to get in is that we were willing to take the cross runway 2-7. Uh, and we had a 90-degree crosswind at about 15 to 20 20 knots, and so that was kind of a prerequisite for you to get in at that time is whether you would accept the crosswind uh, components there, and we did that, and I didn't think it was too bad. Actually, I believe Jeff and I had probably even stronger crosswinds than some of the other airports we stopped at on the way up refueling, uh, so that worked out fairly well for us. Uh, I think our biggest surprise, though, Jeff, is when we actually landed and we they turned us off not into the grass but onto the hard surfaces, which was fine with me. But then we ended up basically in a traffic jam on the taxiways, and we had to wait there and end up shutting down and restarting several times. And as we lift over over to our right, we see like a mile-long strand of Cessnas that had landed in the mass arrivals. Another taxiway was jammed up with about a mile-long Bonanzas that had done their mass arrivals. So that was the only difference I really noticed, particularly in this Oshkosh arrival. It just seemed as if ground control... Uh, was really jammed up a log jam. I'm not real sure what was going on with that, but that was kind of different, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, you know, side by side on the on the taxiway, nose to tail, just about, and nobody really knew what to expect. And so it took a while before we started shutting down. And, and Jason, you actually pointed this out: yeah. the the sound of those airplanes running. Oh, it was fantastic. David and I went out there to just north of where all the home built vendors are at and yeah there had to have been 100 plus airplanes out there all of them with the engine running the sound was um, and coming from the warbirds direction at first you thought are some warbirds coming in when we finally rounded the corner and saw all the airplanes not moving it was it was an impressive impressive sound. I, I literally i think it was several hundred airplanes yeah. i had never seen a strand like that before it was you know it would have sucked to have been in it but to witness it was pretty astounding yeah yeah and um i was watching my engine temps it wasn't it was cool so that helped a lot but uh, I think everybody was doing the same thing. Save the gas, keep the engine cool, and I shut down four or five times because we'd shut down for five minutes and then start back up and move forward and <clears> shut down again. About two plane lengths, yeah, it wasn't yeah. much. So that, that part was a little bit uh, confusing because we just didn't know what to expect. But uh, after 30 minutes or so, 45 minutes perhaps, uh, they started moving again and we were able to start taxiing back into parking. And then to get this... Sonic's campground, our Sonic's camp as we call it, I had to signal one of the flagmen over and say, hey buddy, come here, I got a secret I want to ask you or something. And finally told him how to get here and basically we need to go to 
towards the back blind, the, the blue EA barn across the ditch, you know, through the valley and through the woods and over the hills and, and to finally get back here in this little corner that we've kind of set up a Sonics camp with. But he took us back here. He knew exactly where I was talking about after I kind of explained it a little bit. So that was kind of nice, but we ended up originally what was like three of us, three Sonics and plus my airplane. And and now, unfortunately, they've kind of opened the floodgates and we're, we're flooded with those RV types. But um, thanks we to... dinner to, and the RVs invaded. Yeah, that's right. We literally, when we left here for dinner a couple hours ago, uh, we were the only ones here. We came back and there's a whole line of people in our spot. So at least we, at least we got our ground, so we're in good shape. Uh, but that's a, a good takeaway for um, for subsequent years. Uh, if you get here early, things usually go pretty well. But if you come later in the week, it's anybody's guess as to what's going to be there. Yeah, I'll caveat that, though, with weather. If weather's moving through, um, you know, you've you got to be flexible on, on your plans. So, um, Gary, shortly after we got down and got our tent set up, the rain kind of came back, and it rained for several hours that evening, just sort of a light drizzle to maybe a, to a light rain, um, bigger drops. Uh, but that rain that was in the area shut down everybody else. So so John, you and Mike and, and Jim and Carl, you guys were all stuck on the outskirts trying to get in. So what happened starting last night? Well, last night we uh, we kind of mustered in uh, in Reedsburg for, for refueling <clears throat> and, and to check the weather. The, um, we had an opportunity to get in uh, before the 8 o'clock shutdown, and it was MBFR. And so we launched um, right around 6 o'clock, right, Mike? 5.30? Like 5.30 maybe, yeah. In the evening to, to come on in. We got, we, we were scud running a little bit. We were dancing around uh, the minimums to get to uh, to rip on, and probably 20, 10 miles, miles out of rip on. Yeah, 10, 20, yeah. Um, we pull up... Uh, approach and they um they tell us they're going to go into a hold for the mass arrival of bonanzas coming out of fond du lac and that we would probably not get in before they shut down the airport at 8, 8 p.m so we uh turned around and went back to to reedsburg and uh got back in there tied down called scrambled to call uh for a hotel room we we did get two hotel rooms and then uh went out to dinner and decided to wait it out by the morning we were hoping to get in early nope it was ifr here until i don't know what time 11 maybe. 11 11 30 yeah. and it's when we decided to launch um, about noon we monitored atc as soon as they went mvfr at oshkosh we launched in hope of trying it again uh we did get in However, as soon as they launched, everybody in the area launched, and so it was quite the uh, quite the mass arrival for us <laughs> coming in on on the Fisk approach. So yeah, we, we all had to work for it, and uh, and Carl flying his Nanchang in, he got the royal treatment. So Carl, what was your arrival like? It was very slow flying behind a piper that didn't know where to land <laughs> <laughs> so you flew the warbird approach though uh no i flew in the regular the regular okay one through fisk and i oh. had to I, I landed three six okay so you did not get the special warbird treatment i'm not on the landing no i okay. didn't go over i didn't fly that route so i got to you know my first time out here was 
So I wanted to experience the first time out here, so I flew to Normal Inn. Okay. And it was a hornet's nest. The flying. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Of aircraft and um, a lot of people trying to edge their way in and make their way in and fight their way in. Tell us about your Mooney. My Mooney? Yeah, your Mooney approach. Oh, well, I was behind you, in trail behind you, and a Mooney tried to cut me off and cut in between me, so I went below him, and then I went out to the right of him, and then I shot out in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, smoke system on, eat that. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there were a lot of people who were, who were cutting in uh, after Ripon, which yes. is, is yeah, not I allowed. Yeah, I had a cardinal fly was, past uh, me as well. So I don't think I've seen that before. That was uh, I didn't, didn't expect that. Yeah. Well, you got, Jim, on your final approach in, you got spun off twice? Uh, I, I did. There were just too many people coming in, like I said, right into the line. At one point, <laughs> I had a person under me and a person over me. So, um, you know, rather than pushed my way through I just got out of line I didn't want to mix it up with that an interesting thing though on that rip on and Fisk approach though the, uh, the ground controls there were trying to emphatically state to most people that not to rely on just the GPS fixes mm -hmm. to take you from point A to point B because they really want you single file directly over the railroad track and that's how everybody can really know where everybody else is uh, so as you funnel into Ripon, once you get to there, kind of forget that second GPS fix approach and just hit the railroad track and do try to follow directly on top of it, not north or south or everywhere else because you can easily lose track of your position and where the other aircraft are as well. So Carl, you guys were on the ground by 1.30 or 2 or I forget exactly what time. Uh, 1 o'clock. Yeah, like 1 o'clock. And the weather was, was getting better and better throughout the day. Um, a little bit later... Bob Carson made it in. So, Bob, tell us about your arrival coming in. Oh, I think it was around 4 o'clock. Um, I've flown in here both as a pilot and passenger many times, and I've never, ever seen it this crazy. It was a zoo. Um, my uh, ADS-B traffic was just, the whole screen was just blotted out. I couldn't even <laughs> tell where I was at. And they were, and, you know, like others have said, there were people that were cutting in line and flying the wrong direction. Same altitude, yeah. just off to the left or right a little bit. I just couldn't understand that. People cutting right through the line at a 90-degree angle. Um, several times when I was coming in, the controllers just said, everybody, no matter where you're at, turn left. Turn left now, circle around and come back because everybody was just too, too close and too tight. So I did one loop around Rush Lake, and then I got in line again. And it, was, it seemed like about every third or fourth aircraft, he'd let somebody through, right? So I thought, okay, I'll just... Make sure I have good distance and everything. I got lucky, you know. Um, finally got in down for uh, three six. He sent me in, but then all of a sudden there was another plane almost right on top of me, and, and I don't think he would have sent two of us at the same time. And I don't remember him even calling that other plane. So I just kind of slowed down as much as I could. And then when I was approaching a three six, uh, an L thirty nine was coming in from the warbird approach area or something. I'm not sure. But anyway, he had to cross in front of me to get on three six left, and they. First time I had to talk back, they called me and said, "Do you see that plane?" I said, "Yeah, I sure do." And he said, "Yeah, just be, you know, caution, wake turbulence, turbulence." And then I, I came in on three six left. But yeah, it was a zoo. You know, another procedural change I noticed this year too dealt with the transponders, Bob, as you just mentioned. Uh, before we'd almost always they'd recommend we just turn all the transponders off by the time uh, you hit rip on or so. Uh -huh. uh, now they specifically said that if you do not have an ADS-B 
transponder or capabilities to turn your transponder off. So they must be getting much more discrete hits with the ADSB accuracy requirements than they did with the traditional transponders would be my take on it. I guess, but it, it can't be useful to anybody. I mean, you're using the screens, right? It's just it's well, it was for of the traffic I saw. Uh, well, but we, like, know we, we don't see all the traffic, however, as we all know, right. with the current system. Right. But Thank God we can't see that many places. Well, yeah, it's kind of good and bad, right? <laughs> I mean, what you, what you don't see won't hurt off. you, hopefully. Yeah, that's yeah. what I ended up doing I because turned, I, couldn't I couldn't see my, my fix. Line, so I just turned it off. Yeah. And so it was yeah. like, good this idea. is useless to see all this yeah. bumblebee. I saw yeah. just a big black spot yeah. on the screen with numbers. So. And Gary, when we were coming in, one of the problems that we were having is um, people would get all jammed up at, at Ripon, and then they would try to make their spacing up on the way to Fisk, and so they would slow way down. Yeah. And the guy in front of me would just put the brakes on, and it's like, what do you do? You know, you either brake out or you slow down, too. That, and so the whole line happened. was getting slower yeah. and slower. That's what happened to like us. on the highway. That's what happened to John and I. We, just, we had great spacing, and his Cherokee just, he just, he must have slowed 30 miles an hour. And he was above us. And we're looking at each other, decide, and it's coming up on Fisk, and we're deciding whether to break out on our own or not. And so I thought, well, I'll hang here and see what. Well, it turned out the controller, you know, almost yelled at the guy and told him, told him to turn right. Because he could see us where there's a flight of two. Yeah. And he must have saw how he backed or slowed down and backed. I mean, we're like doing 70, you know. And uh, so they let us through and we came, we came straight up. Luckily, landed on nine. Even, even the controller. After that, so. Your controller first started talking about people. What are you doing? Why are you turning right? Why are you going the wrong uh -huh. way? He's like, What's going on up there, guys? Because <laughs> yeah. it's a zoo. Yep. I think there's so many people that don't that don't read the note of in time. I mean, we, Carl and I know before we came out here, we, there was a couple of guys we know from our home airport that we ask I asked him at 8 o'clock at night, Have you ever read the note of No. And I asked the other guy flying with him, Do you ever read the note of No. Yeah. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it tonight when I go to bed or something like that. Yeah, I couldn't know? stress I enough last time we did our podcast, you know, have the notum, highlight it, yep. carry it here. with you, so do not leave it at home. So. <clears throat> yep. It's just valuable information. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people that don't have the skills yeah. set to do the same thing. Just don't. All right, well, we all made it. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, looking forward to a good week. Um, let's just go around and, uh, and one highlight, either... Whatever you want to point out, lesson learned, advice, whatever. Jim, start us off. Well, uh, I think for me, the, the marginal VFR, uh, if, if you're <laughs> not really comfortable or you haven't done this uh, approach before, I would definitely recommend waiting until it's, it's uh, full VFR, not, not too marginal VFR. Carl? I would say other than the NOTAM, read the NOTAM, but also I got to give kudos to the EAA and the website for the webinar and the 10 tips for making your flight in better. I thought yeah. that was very the, that was very useful information. So It's just like when you've done this before, knowing what to expect is a huge part of making it work. Yep. Okay, Jason. Uh, I'll echo what Jim said. I mean, that's a lot of the reason why I came early with my son my first time flying into Oshkosh. It got me and him coming in. Figured, you know, if we come in late after the weather goes through, it's going to be a madhouse. So better to come in early, safe and sorry. If you do happen to come in very early on Thursday, have a backup plan for uh, 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 relieving yourself because all the porta potties <laughs> around here are locked. Lesson learned. They Lesson have trees. Learned. They have trees and we have a ditch, but <laughs> beware. Okay, John. Uh, 
especially this trip, uh, make sure you know where your alternate is. When you're coming into to rip on, you can easily be turned back. And so you've got to have that in your back pocket where you're going to go and sit down and wait or reevaluate. Yep. And you guys are in, you know, the, the flight from Reedsburg isn't that far. The flight from Portage is only a 20 minute flight. Yep. yep. And it took us an hour to get on the ground. Yeah, Reedsburg is, is 10 minutes further, mm. but uh, they have a full taxi back uh, taxiway. Yeah. So you don't have to deal with the whole taxi back on the runway. Okay. All right, Gary. Uh, just to perseverate again, notum, 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 notum. <laughs> you know, I think if you're you're for forewarned, you're forearmed, it just makes life a lot easier. Again, I think the biggest thing maybe is even though they have GPS fixes again, the controllers again were real adamant, don't necessarily follow those, hit the railroad, stick with it right over the top of it so everyone else knows where to look for you as well. Captain Mike? Uh, I think, you know, as John and I were talking about this earlier, I think you're better off sometimes with a flight of two. I think that you get a little more clout. I think the vis- I think that you're more visible. I think uh, the controllers were like we. I thought we were going to get spun out, and it turns out we they, they could see we were doing our thing, and they would allow us. And the same thing happened last year. We pretty much just came in, uh, and we were a flight of two, and they actually got somebody out in front of us last year also. You know? yeah. So I think you're just more visible. You're, there's more. There's more to see. So that, Carl, uh, you were behind us. Was it easier to see us because there are two of us? Mm-hmm. And, yes. And that's why I got broke out is um, as I turned, I saw there was a flight of two chipmunks or something like that, and uh, they were barreling right behind me, so apparently they were going faster than I was, and they basically ran me out of the way. Yeah, I just, I just think you have a little more, I don't know if you have more clout, but you have more, they see you easier. More presence, yeah. More presence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's good. Uh, you can come in with a friend, extra eyes, and if make you have, it easier. If, if you have something like that, it's always helpful. Yeah, good. Bob? Well, I think, um, like I said, I've been in here several times, and today is the first time I've ever had to not just get right in line and come straight in. So <clears throat> maybe I got a little complacent with fuel, right? Now, I had plenty this time, but I normally wouldn't have as much as I have. Okay, so I, in the past, I might have hit rip on with 45 minutes of fuel and think, don't even worry about it. That wouldn't have worked this time. So, plenty of fuel or know where you can peel out and go get it, you know, if you have to. Yeah, if you prepare for all those um, eventualities, uh, you won't have any problem. But if you're cutting it close on weather or fuel or time, uh, you're likely going to have to do something different. So, set yourself up for success and, and top off close, check the weather, pick a good time. And be ready to go to an alternate, and it's not a, it's not an oh crap, what do I do now? It's already something you've thought through, so you just got to pull the trigger. Yeah. And if you need a place to go to to rally up, you might talk to uh, John and Carl about the black squirrel in Reedsburg. That's right. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we we heard there there was some uh, some video that got confiscated by the local PD. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, nice. The black squirrel is uh, really good for uh, the geriatric crowd. <laughs> Target-rich environment, Gary. (laughs) Well, uh, I guess uh, I'll just summarize it with with one final thought. Um, This is a a super exciting place, and we all love coming here. We love the thrill of of coming and and making the arrival and seeing everything and getting set up in camp. Um, 
All this adds to the experience. Do not let it deter you. It is worth the effort and the and the cost and the hassle of getting here to experience it firsthand. If you're listening to this and you're thinking that that sounds like a lot of work and I don't know that I'm up to the task, you will. Just think it through one step at a time and you'll be just fine and come here and enjoy it for yourself. It's a great time. And nothing's more satisfying than actually hitting the dot they assign you. Yeah. (laughs) Except maybe that Bonanza who hit the dot and then parked on the dot and made the Cherokee behind him go around. (laughs) All right, guys. Um... Thanks a lot. Uh, I know everybody's looking forward to, to stuff throughout the week, and uh, maybe we'll try to huddle up at some point this week and uh, get some highlights on stuff we saw that's cool. But for now, I think it's either A, time for bed, or B, time for another round of beer. So you guys all have a good night, and we'll see you here in a little bit. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.